or our family didn't have family vacations. We didn't go to the beach in the summertime. You know, we, we, we wrestle. You know, I don't think I did anything that no one can do or else I wouldn't have done it. It's almost like I was more excited for him to win than, 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 I, than I cared about me winning. You know, that was when I really, truly understood that you can't get on that podium without being a well-rounded wrestler. Wrestling is just like one big puzzle. There's like a counterattack to every attack that the opponent has, and it's just fun trying to, like, figure everything out. I really love to watch freestyle wrestling. I watch it, you know, almost every day. I'm watching Russians and Iranians. No, I think you had some uh, pretty good questions, pretty in-depth. Only fault was that I thought I could pin everybody, you know. So going into the semifinals, I didn't really have a game plan. It took me a couple of years to really recognize uh, just what I had actually done um, and how really rare that that is. I was like super, super, super intense. All I cared about was wrestling. For 17 years, it was like. This is what I was training for, you know, and this is potentially my last tournament. It's like, this is it. It's like eight mile, like you only get one shot. I felt like he took what was mine, you know, and um, I was trying to take what was his. So just kind of how things go. Welcome to episode 23 of the Sudden History Wrestling Podcast. I'm your host, Earl Smith. We're going to switch back away from the interview style show this week and go through one of my crazy breakdowns. I've got to get one of these in every about six or seven episodes or my head will explode from all of the useless information. Luckily, if you're listening to this show, you'll appreciate it all. This is something I was going to release a few weeks ago. However, I unexpectedly was able to speak with John Reeder and Matt McDonough, so I wanted to go ahead and put those interviews out. What I'm going to talk about today is some of the best teams of the 2000s. Now, I've broken down what I think to be the four strongest teams, and we'll go in-depth in it explaining why each team was great. Before I begin, a couple of ground rules. I only took one team from a particular era. For instance, I did not list both Penn State's 2012 and 2013 teams. I chose the one I thought was better, and it doesn't seem as fun to me picking two teams with almost the exact same team members. I did consider teams from the same school but different eras, so in theory, I could have mentioned both Iowa's 2000 team and 2010 team, or Minnesota's 2001 and 2007 teams. Before I get into those top four teams, here are a couple teams of note that were runners-up at Nationals. Please note these are all schools that did not win titles in the 2000s. The first one is the 2002 Iowa State Cyclones. This had a chance to be a storybook ending to Cale Sanderson's career as he won his fourth NCAA title. He was also joined on the top of the podium by teammates Aaron Holker and Joe Hesketh. This actually must have been a case of my memory making them seem better over the course of time, as my memories of this team were actually stronger than the team looked on paper. Only two other Cyclones were All-Americans. Those were Zach Roberson and Bill Maldonado. In any case, three NCAA champions in one year puts you in very elite company. The next team I want to talk about is the 2005 Michigan Wolverines. 
Uh, somebody had to finish second to the runaway train that was Oklahoma State, and you can guess I'll talk about them shortly. This Michigan team had three Big Ten champs and four finalists, one NCAA champion, Ryan Bertine, and three NCAA fourth-place finishers. They were Eric Tannenbaum, Ryan Chirilla, and Greg Wagner. One of the strongest all-around teams among the schools that have not won a title has to be the 2011 Cornell Big Red. Cornell started the 2010-2011 season as the top-ranked team in the country. They were the first Ivy League team to be ranked number one in the nation, and they had three number one ranked wrestlers to open the season. They were Kyle Dake, Mac Lunas, and Cam Simaz. If you don't remember at the beginning of the year and as it went along, people thought an East Coast team would finally win nationals, but initially it was Cornell, not Penn State as the favorite. The Big Red tied Penn State at the Southern Scuffle and blew away the field by about 40 points at the Cliff Keen. They also won their first national duels title over an upstart Virginia Tech squad, and they claimed the EIWA crown by 54.5 points over Lehigh and won four individual crowns. At nationals, Cornell finished 14 points behind Penn State, and five of their seven seeded wrestlers did not wrestle up to seed, and only Kyle Dake made it to the finals. Uh, Spoiler alert, he won also. So that's going to lead me to my top four teams of the 2000s. I'm going to go in order from farthest away to most recent. So we're going to start with 2001 Minnesota. This was the first team title in school history. They had 10 All-Americans. That is one of the most unique achievements in wrestling all 10 starters as All-Americans, none of them were in the NCAA Finals either. Only one of the 10 was seeded outside of the top eight, so it's not like you had a bunch of guys overachieving that one week of the season. They were consistently great. I'm going to run through the lineup right here. We got, starting off, Leroy Vega at 125 pounds. He was seeded third and finished third at Nationals. 133 pounds, Brett Lawrence. He finished 8th at Nationals. Is with a, He was the 10th seed. He was that guy who was the only one who was not seeded in the top 8. 141 pounds, it was Chad Erickson. He was seeded 7 and finished 8th. 149 pounds, Jared Lawrence was the 2nd seed and finished 6th. 157 pounds, Luke Becker was the 6th seed who finished 4th. Also seated sixth, finishing fourth. Brad Pike at 165 pounds. At 174 pounds, Jacob Volkman was seated seventh, finished fourth. At 184 pounds, Damian Hahn seated fifth, finished fifth. 197, Owen Elson was the fifth seed. He finished third. And at heavyweight, Garrett Lowney, he was coming off the bronze medal at the 2000 Summer Olympics in Greco. He was the top seed and finished third. So looking at this team, both Volkman and Hahn were freshmen. Only Brett Lawrence and Pike were seniors. So that kind of set the Gophers up for another title run the next season. This season, 
the NCAA tournament was held in Iowa City, Carver Hawkeye Arena. So it was just that much sweeter for the Gophers, winning by 16 points over Iowa. Minnesota was 19-1 and this year in dual competition, their lone setback, 25-12 loss to Oklahoma State in January. They won the Big Ten Championships by 23.5 points over Illinois. Two Minnesota wrestlers captured Big Ten titles. They were Jared Lawrence and Garrett Lowney. Vega, Erickson, and Becker were all Big Ten finalists. Minnesota also won the Midlands by 11 points over Iowa State. Jared Lawrence won the only title for the Gophers at the event. And Vega and Pike were finalists as well. The next team I'm going to talk about, 2005 Oklahoma State. This is an obvious choice and maybe one of the best of all time. I'm pretty open about the fact that I have a hard time comparing teams that I never saw compete from the 1960s and 1970s. But along with the 1997 Iowa team, this may be the most impressive team since I've been following the sport. The title was Oklahoma State's 33rd in school history. Their nine NCAA qualifiers were Coleman Scott, seated ninth, finished eighth. 133 pounds, Nathan Morgan, seated seventh, was around a 12 finisher. At 141 pounds, Daniel Frischkorn was seated seventh, finished fourth. At 149 pounds, Zach Esposito was the top seed and the NCAA champion. At 157 pounds, Kevin Ward did not place. He went 3-2. and two. He was the only one of the nine wrestlers who was unseated. At 165 pounds, Johnny Hendricks was the third seed and won an NCAA title. 174 pounds, Chris Pendleton was the top seed and got an NCAA title. At 197 pounds, Jake Rochalt was the second seed and won an NCAA title. And at heavyweight, Steve Mako was the top seed and won his second NCAA title. Chris Pendleton, he was the only senior of this group, which Minnesota was like before them. It uh, set them up for another title run the next season. Both Coleman Scott and Nathan Morgan were true freshmen that were brought out of redshirt in January. Steve Mako was the only undefeated guy in the bunch, and he won the Hodge Trophy following this season. The Cowboys' five NCAA champions marked only the third time in D1 history that a team has produced five champions in the same season. The runner-up Michigan Wolverines were a distant 70 points behind Oklahoma State, the second greatest margin of victory in NCAA history. The 153 team points is the highest total since those aforementioned Iowa Hawkeyes in 1997. They had 170. Oklahoma State went 21-0 in dual competition. At the Big 12s, the Cowboys won the conference title by 46 points over Iowa State. Let's look a little further to see how impressive that was. At that point in time, the Big 12, obviously not as deep as the Big 10, but arguably was a tougher group. In 2005, the conference consisted of Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, Iowa State, but also Nebraska and Missouri, all very tough teams. The 46-point margin over Iowa State, well, it was almost double the score as Oklahoma State had 95 points and Iowa State had 49. 
Second place, Iowa State, was ahead of fifth place, Missouri, by only 14 points. So all those other teams are kind of bunched together. Individually, the Cowboys took seven of the ten conference titles. One of the three guys that didn't win a Big 12 title was three-time NCAA champ Jake Ruschalt, who fell to Nebraska's B.J. Payton. Oklahoma State won a team title at the Reno Tournament of Champions. This tournament was much tougher than its current incarnation. They beat Arizona State by 60 and a half points. The five wrestlers who would eventually win NCAA titles this season won titles in Reno. The tournament was actually wrestled prior to Scott Morgan coming out of red shirt, so it could conceivably been won by an even wider margin. The next team I'm going to speak of is the 2010 Iowa Hawkeyes. This was the final of the three NCAA championship teams for the Hawkeyes. Most of the key contributors were the same over those three years, but this season they really turned it on at Nationals. The prior year was when Brett Metcalf was upset by Darian Caldwell in the finals, and they won without having an individual champ. Kind of an empty feeling. In 2009, they only squeaked by Ohio State by four and a half points. Here are the 10 NCAA qualifiers for the Hawks. 125 pounds, Matt McDonough was third seed. He was an NCAA champion. 133 pounds, Dan Dennis was the second seed and finished second. 141 pounds, Montel Marion was the sixth seed and was the NCAA runner-up. At 149 pounds, Brent Metcalf was the second seed and the NCAA champion. At 157 pounds, Jake Kerr was unseeded and went 2-2 two and two and did not place. 165 pounds, Ryan Morningstar was the seventh seed and finished seventh. At 174 pounds, Jake Borschel was seeded second and won an NCAA championship. At 184 pounds, Phil Ketty was seeded ninth and finished in 8th place. At 197 pounds, Chad Beatty was the ninth seed and made it to the round of 12. At 285 pounds, Dan Erickson was seeded 5th and finished 7th. This was an extremely senior-heavy team featuring 7 starters. Matt McDonough, he won his NCAA championship as a freshman in a weight class that featured the previous two NCAA champions, Angel Escobedo and Troy Nickerson. The Hawkeyes placed wrestlers in the NCAA Finals at the first four weights, gaining two champions from that group. Jay Borschel was the only one of Iowa's three champions to go undefeated. This season was the coming out party for Montel Marion. Dan LeClaire was the starter at the beginning of the season. Joey Slayton was sort of in the mix at 141, so preseason you'd have to say Marion was probably number three on the depth chart. Surprisingly, none of Iowa's three NCAA champions entered the NCAA tournament as the top seed. The Hawkeyes placed eight wrestlers on the podium. This is a feat that has not been accomplished in the years since. Iowa claimed their Big Ten title by 37 points over Minnesota. Quick name the two Hawkeyes to win Big Ten titles this year. They were Jay Borschel, of course, he was undefeated. And McDonough? Nah. Metcalf? Nope. Dennis? Marion? Nope. Nope. 
How about heavyweight Dan Erickson? The Hawkeyes were 23-0 in dual competition and shut out eight opponents. Iowa won the Midlands for the third consecutive season, and in each of those three seasons, they prevailed over a tough Iowa State team. McDonough, Metcalf, and Borschel all won Midland titles. The last of the four teams I will be discussing is the 2012 Penn State Nittany Lions. This was possibly the most impressive of Penn State's five team titles in six seasons, and it was their second consecutive. The 143 points scored by the Nittany Lions is the most in any of their five title seasons and is tied for the second highest total of the 2000s. Penn State's NCAA qualifiers consisted of, at 125 pounds, Nico Megalutis, the 10th seed who finished second. At 133 pounds, Frank Martellotti, who was unseeded and went 1-2, not placing. 149 pounds, Frank Molinaro, the one seed, won an NCAA championship. At 157 pounds, Dylan Alton was seeded seventh and finished third. At 165 pounds, David Taylor was the top seed and the NCAA champion. 174 pounds, Ed Ruth was the top seed as well and also captured an NCAA championship. 184 pounds, Quentin Wright was seated 6th and finished 2nd. 197 pounds, Morgan McIntosh was unseated and went 1-2, and two, did not place. At 285 pounds, Cameron Wade was seated 6th and made it to the round of 12. This team fin- featured two seniors, Frank Molinaro and Cameron Wade. Four of the NCAA qualifiers were freshmen, Nico Megalutis and Morgan McIntosh were true freshmen. Frank Martellotti and Dylan Alton were redshirt freshmen. This Penn State team had three NCAA champions and two runners-up. All three of the champions, Molinaro, Taylor, and Ruth, were undefeated. The Minnesota team, who finished second, scored 117.5 points. This is a total that would have been enough to win a title seven years in the 2000s. Three of Penn State's All-Americans out-wrestled their seeds by at least four spots. They were Nico Megalutis, Dylan Alton, and Quentin Wright. This was the only time that Frank Martellotti was a starter for Penn State after this season. Jordan Conaway and Jimmy Goulibon were the starters at 133 pounds for the Nittany Lions. Sort of obvious, but they had three Big Ten champions, these same three guys who were undefeated. The big regular season tournament the Nittany Lions competed in was the Southern Scuffle. Four of the wrestlers took home titles, Molinaro, Taylor, Ruth, and Wright. Additionally, two other Penn State wrestlers were finalists, Dylan Alton and Matt Brown. This was a season where Brown was not the starter for them, but his performance at the Scuffle led you to believe he could be an All-American type of guy. Penn State went 13-1 in dual competition. Their only loss came at the hands of Minnesota 23-14 in an early season matchup. Earlier this week, I sent out a tweet soliciting questions for a Q&A mailbag type deal. I'm going to think of some sort of creative name between this week and next for it. Anyways, I got one response from at Jersey Hokey 29 I feel bad 
because I don't even know his name, but he has been instrumental in getting wrestling its own page on Virginia Tech's Tech Sideline website. So check that out if you want Hoagie-related information. So anyways, he sent me a tweet, and he said he wanted to hear my opinion on the biggest bum cedar draw, either highly ranked or someone like Josh Kindig. So what I'm going to do is go through some wild seeding issues and unseeded studs from the 2000s. We're going to start off by talking about the situation he was referring to from the 2015 NCAA championships at 149 pounds with Josh Kindig of Oklahoma State. Kindig was the returning NCAA finalist. He had a rough injury-plagued year going 13-4 and entering the tournament. He was banged up and injury-defaulted throughout the Big 12 championships. Well, he comes in unseated and drew number three, Dave Habit of Edinburgh in the first round and was shut out 7-0. Kindig dropped down to the consolation pigtail first round match and was eliminated by Clay Ream of North Dakota State 5-3. Now, looking at the brackets, it's a little off topic, but Clay Ream has beaten some studs in the Constellations the past two years. After beating Kindig, he knocked out an injured Hunter Steber, and this past season in the first round of Concies, he teched two-time All-American Evan Henderson. So, sort of an answer to Jersey Hokies tweet. The first situation that comes to be, and maybe the most similar, featuring guys with such credentials from the year before or prior seasons, is the 2010 Pigtail Championship first round match at 184 pounds between Ohio State's Mike Pashillo and Central Michigan's Mike Miller. Not one, but both of these guys were returning NCAA runners-up. Pashillo was actually the NCAA champion in 2008. He earned the 10th seed after having a rough end of the year where he finished third in the Big Ten. Miller was a 174-pounder in 2009 when he made the finals, but in 2010 the Chips had a sensational freshman named Ben Bennett at 174, which I imagine bumped Miller up a weight class where he may have been slightly outsized. The unseeded Miller prevailed in this matchup, then lost his next two matches to unranked Jason McCroskey of Chattanooga and Josh Einan of Nebraska. Pashillo rebounded slightly and won four matches in a row before being eliminated in the round of 12 by Clayton Foster, 8-7. to It was his senior year and the only year where Pashillo did not get on the podium. The next situation I found looks much crazier today than it did in 2007. But at 149 pounds, top-ranked Dustin Schlater, a returning NCAA champion with a 60-plus match winning streak, got an unseeded true freshman in the first round. Sounds appropriate, right? Well, that, that freshman was a skinny 149-pounder with a 15-11 and 11 record, and that was Jordan Burroughs. Schlater snuck by with a 3-2 decision. After Burroughs beats Columbia's Matt Dunn, he gets the number two seed, Matt Storniolo, who was upset in the second round by Indiana's freshman, Matt Coughlin. Storniolo took the match 6-1, to one, but it was one of those close 
matches with about 100 tiebreakers, and it ended up 6-1. I haven't been able to find another guy who's had to face the top two seeds in the first two matches, or three matches, like old JB did. So reading into those results at the time, I have to say, um, I thought Burroughs was a guy who would make a leap in the 2008 season. Eight years later, the guy's still making leaps. In 2007, we also had an unexpected NCAA champion at 141 pounds. That was UC Davis's Derek Moore. He took the weight class by storm, and he had never All-American previously. Well, part of that reason was his draws. In both 2004 and 2005, Moore drew the number one seed at 133 pounds. Both seasons, that was Cornell's Travis Lee. Both years, Lee pinned Moore, and in both years, Moore battled back through the consolations, only to lose one-point decisions in the round of 12. And sticking at 2007, 141 pounds, the number nine seed was a guy named Kenny Hashimoto from Northern Colorado. He was a big-time judo guy. Uh, he was probably a little overseeded, but he could be exciting to watch. Well, he gets a true freshman that was even more exciting to watch, unseated Darian Caldwell of NC State. At the time, the ACC still got very little respect nationally, and Caldwell himself had some growing pains. As a result, no seed. That didn't matter as DC rolled him up for a pin in all of about 28 seconds. A more recent guy you don't want to face in round one at Nationals, Michigan's Connor Utsi. This year, he knocked off Eddie Clamera on his way to All-American honors for the second year in a row, both times unseated. The last wrestler to AA twice unseated, Lehigh's Mario Stewart. He did so most recently in 2004. Stewart was unseated and made the NCAA semis as a freshman, and then in the quarters as a senior. That senior season, he upset the Big Ten champion and four-seed Tom Clum of Wisconsin in round one. Sticking with the 125-pounders, in 2008 at Nationals, the top seed Angel Escobedo entered the tournament 29-1 and and drew a tough freshman named Anthony Robles. Even as a freshman, Robles was an incredibly difficult matchup with his upper body strength, his unique style, his array of tilts. I remember at the time favoring Escobedo, but knowing he'd have his hands full right off the bat, he did so, but he won a 4-2 decision. And then last at the 2006 NCAA Championships, actually the, the NCAA champion at 157 pounds was an undefeated Ben Charrington of Boise State. Despite being undefeated, Charrington was only the five seed due to the fact that he was injured for the beginning of the season and didn't hit most of the guys who were thought to be the contenders at the weight. All right, well, I probably went a little overboard answering that tweet, but it was exactly the type of question I was looking for. So I'm going to try and make this a regular thing. My homework assignment for myself is to come up with a name better than my regular Q&A thing. If you want to tweet me with a question, go ahead. I'm not necessarily looking for questions like, 
what's Iowa's lineup going to look like next year, or how many NCAA titles Mark Hall will win. Uh, maybe I'll answer those questions too, but what I'm really looking for is something that ties into the whole sudden history show concept. Hypothetical matches, who is the best, who is your favorite, can you remember a situation like this? Get creative, you can email me, earl at d1collegewrestling.net, or on Twitter, at d1cw, or at Sudden History for the show. That's it for this week. You guys have been great downloading the show. Continue to do so, and continue to support the entire Matt Talk Podcast Network. We're going to go back to Greg Jones to close us out this week. How the hell do I get off this stage?